Yeah, pod- podcasts are tricky. There's stuff I say all the time that I'm like, ah, I, I shouldn't put that out there. It gives me a little bit of heartburn. But you just got to send it. And like, like, like we've talked about, but I, I hope people understand that when they listen to a podcast, they know that at least ours, there's not editing. We don't review anything beforehand. We're just talking off the cuff. I hope they apply that filter. Because if you take it like this refined message, oh, mm-hmm. oh, wow, this is what this guy firmly believes. And there's no if answer. No, not at all. All of this is totally with a grain of salt. A lot of grains of salt. I feel like our listenership, just like the audience in general, owes us very, very, very little, mm-hmm. if anything. The only thing I would say that I feel like we've earned is um, the space for like nuance and gray area. Yes. Because we never have hard, this is the fact conversation. Other than like, there's a people problem in the industry. Like yeah. those are the sorts of things where like, yeah, that sure. these are facts. But for the most part, it's like, well, here's what I think. Well, here's what I think. And I wonder how those things tangle up together and make what's probably the truth. Like, yeah, well, that's yeah. how we talk. I mean, n- neither one of us are experts on no. this industry. Not even, not even or slightly. Anything. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it, these people, they get so upset because, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, Jackwad. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. We don't know what we're talking yeah. about. We're doing our best. And that's what I've done since day one is I, I don't know what I'm doing. Or the skid steer thing wasn't even all that um, scary to share because I've already said I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know what I'm doing when I run that machine. I, like yesterday, I was running it, scared shitless the whole time I was doing it. I was wondering about that. It's not relaxing. Not relaxing in the slightest. It is freaking terrifying because I've never done it before. Mm-hmm. But the only way you learn how to do it is you sit your ass in the seat, you wiggle the sticks, and you do different stuff with it. That's it. There you go. And I think we've been really, really upfront about like that a- approach, about well, even like the meta approach of how we do a podcast too. Yeah. Is that like we are just like trying to figure it out and do the best we can. Our intentions are pure. And we we need to make we need to make it okay to not know what you're doing in this industry mm-hmm. because we need a lot of new people in the dirt world. New people are coming from places outside of the dirt world. So by default, they have no dirt world experience. So when they come into the dirt world, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, wow. What a freaking crazy concept. So if they get immediately, if they immediately feel like shit for not knowing what they're doing day one, you think they're going to stick around? I get giving people grief and giving people shit. And there's value in that. Absolutely. I got roasted the first minute I walked onto a job site for my height. Thank goodness I'm not super self-conscious about it. (laughs) But there's, there's, there's poking fun and there's also just being an asshole. And there's a lot of people that are just assholes. Yeah. A lot, I, I see more of them than most because I share stuff on the internet. God forbid. Oh my word. There's always somebody out there that can do it way better. Okay. Yeah. You probably can do it better. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, like, I agree. <laughs> I think you're, you're saying something I'm kind of fired up by. 
and it's not something we've, we've necessarily talked about before. At, at BuildWit, we've always known that like, we, we believe we can have a, an important impact on the dirt world mm-hmm. in the industry. Yeah. We've not always known what that impact is going to look like. But um, through the podcast, through uh, the, the new really exciting stuff we're going to put out into the world very soon, the stuff we've already put out into the world in terms of websites, videos, how we share the stories of the dirt world just in general. Um, you know, we're always just like trying to do our best, but like we don't really know what we're doing. And one thing you just said, it kind of really struck me. You were talking about like people don't know what they're doing when they come into the dirt world for the first time. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, I'm, man, I'm like kind of fired up about like how do we normalize? people not knowing what they're doing the first time they do something here. Because like that, that shouldn't be a surprise. That shouldn't be um, any sort of like failing. But I'll tell you one thing, if I went and got a like job in the industry, like just trying to like work for a contractor in town, my number one thing is I don't know what I'm doing and they're going to think I'm an idiot. It can be pretty And so it's like, how do we, how do we help solve that? It's like, yeah, there are going to be plenty of people. So how do we, get people from, I don't know anything to, I know these couple things and can learn along the way as I'm, you know what I mean? And that's where training comes in is if we can give someone the ability online in private to learn about the industry and learn about tangible industry concepts, like how to inspect the undercarriage of an excavator, how to grease a bulldozer. We can give them just those bait, that basic information when they walk onto a job site and power them with just a little bit. And then also prime them. Hey, just because you've learned this over here on the computer still doesn't mean you know shit. So keep your mouth shut, work hard, ask questions when you do open your mouth, approach it with total humility. You're going to be positioning those people much better off than they are today walking on a job site with, with nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And I think we're doing it right now. We're just talking about it. You know, everybody was there. Everybody was on a job site at one point and, and, and didn't know what they were doing. Some people though, we're, we're, and this is something I was thinking about, and I've been thinking about a lot as I've used my skid steer more and more. Some people were raised on grandpa's farm or mm-hmm. dad's business or the uncle or your uncle's business, yeah. or whatever. So you've been around it your whole life. It's second nature to you. So you didn't necessarily have that as an adult stage of learning where it was super awkward and you didn't know what the hell you were doing. Yeah. You've always been kind of good at it. Okay, cool. But me, I was raised by an attorney. I have never worked with my hands. I, well, I hadn't until I, I, I went to Montana yeah. and used a chainsaw and learned how to do that. But I didn't grow up using my hands. I'm terrible at it. Like when I got the, when I got the skid steer, I had to learn how to chain a machine down on a trailer. I didn't know how to do that before. Or even just a skid steer. Like, hey, where does the diesel go? What's hydraulic fluid? How do you grease it? How do you put a thing of, of grease into the grease gun? All of that stuff I'm learning because I've never done it before. Mm-hmm. And I have zero skill set to, to make that easy for me. I look like a total jack. I, I put my skid steer on its roof. That illustrates the point of how little I know. I don't know what I'm doing, but I have done my best to learn and ask questions. A lot of it just comes down to just figure it out. Just go out there, mess with it, learn. That's that. Ask questions. Yes. And so when I got on a job site, I was 18. I didn't know how to do anything. I was an adult. 
So you're, yeah, I'm an asshole for, for years because I was in all different applications. But that's just, that's part of it because I've never done it before. I'm not one of these kids that grew up in a machine since I was, you know, three years old. There's a, uh, there's a meme that's floated around for a while that I've always thought was really fascinating and like is exactly in line with this. I think it's from the Cartoon Network show Adventure Time. And the quote is something like, I'm paraphrasing, so anybody who really knows it, I apologize. But the quote is something like, being shitty at something is being on the way to being pretty good at something. Yeah. And like, (laughs) that's like exactly what we're talking about. You know, like our industry and, you know, like don't hold me to the, this factor figure, but this is just one I've read before. It's like, we're a million people short, give or take. And so we're not going to get those like million people by trying to find people who have 10 years in the industry. Like they don't exist. Yeah, or grew up on, on grandpa's lap. Those yeah. people are going away too. So increasingly, just mathematically speaking, we're going to need more and more people that have never used their hands in their lives, that have never worked all that hard before, that have never been on a job site before, that don't know how to run equipment. And we're going to need to take them and turn them into effective people in the industry. Mm-hmm. I think just because someone hasn't worked before doesn't mean hard work is, is a turnoff. I was, once I started working hard, I was drawn to it like, like nothing else I'd been drawn to before. I didn't need to do it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it. I'd never done it before. I want, I just, I want to do it. I love, I love working. Like yesterday was so much fun for me because I just got to, I just got to work for the day. I love that. I love it. And, 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 and we just, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's a tricky thing because people, it, there's so many people that are just total, assholes to people that don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Total assholes. Well, it's a, it's a culture thing. And that's certainly not um, particular to just the dirt world. No, no, but, but dirt world is, it is particular in a lot of ways because there's this crazy sense of pride. Yeah. And, but I think the guys that are the biggest assholes are, are oftentimes the most insecure. Sure. So Garrett, Garrett Wilson, if you're just completely incompetent, he will go tell you to screw yourself. If you're an arrogant asshole and think you know everything, he will tell you to go screw yourself. But if you come to Garrett, Garrett, genuine question, I just started running a drive. You always say, keep your outriggers up. They have them on the outside for what seems to be a rational reason. They keep it a lot. So why, why do you keep them up? And how can I learn how to do that? He's going to sit there and explain everything there is about that. Everything there is about that, because you went to him with a genuine question, wanting a genuine answer. I've been working for a while. I kind of know what I'm doing, but I need your help. He's not going to tell you to go screw yourself, but he will tell you, tell you to screw yourself if in those other ways I, I just outlined. Yeah. We need more people like that because I don't, think, I don't think people should just by default be helpful. You need to earn it. You need to work hard. You need to ask questions. You need to have some sense of humility. You need to have an understanding that you don't know everything. But if you have all that, there you go. I think you should be helped out. Well, yeah, it's not like I walk into the mayor's office and push him out of his chair and said, I want to learn how to lead a city like this. Mm-hmm. Why haven't you given that to me yet? Like, mm-hmm. that's stupid. Like, that would never happen. And so I think in the same way, like, you, you're right. There is, you, no one's entitled to, like, that training or that um, kind of knowledge transfer. But, like, 
I can speak for myself. When somebody is like pretty kind to me and asks for help, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Let's talk about it. Well, and, and, and so the, the biggest challenge slash risk facing the industry right now is workforce. Mm-hmm. So if you're one of those managers or, or leaders and you say, hmm, okay, so this is the biggest problem. If I figure out how to effectively develop people, I'm going to be way better off long-term than anybody else. Well, there you go. So if you can effectively teach, if you can effectively educate, if you can inspire, if you can take someone who's never been on a job site and turn them into a very highly productive individual on a job site, you are going to be so much more successful than the next guy. So much more successful than the next guy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, coming up from the bottom, lots of opportunity, this and that. But if you're one of the people already in the industry, you can, you can figure out how to inspire the next generation. And you should not want the experienced crews because, okay, yeah, they're doing their thing. You should want the, the misfits, the people that have had no experience whatsoever. You can mold them into what you need them to be. They're, gonna, they're probably going to outperform those experienced people. And sure, it's going to be a pain in your ass for a few months, maybe. But long term, you're going to be way better off and way more valuable to your organization than just effectively leading an experienced crew. Mm-hmm. Those will be, you'll be the most valuable managers in this industry, period. Foreman, superintendents, project managers, whatever, whatever kind of just crew lead, whatever that is, or excavator operator teaching truck drivers. If you can go teach other inexperienced people how to do their jobs effectively, you will be among the most valuable people in this organization and in, in, in this industry mm-hmm. at, and at your organization with, without a doubt, without a doubt. So you want job security? There you go. You want to be able to go anywhere? There you go. You want to make a ton of money? There you go. I love that every once in a while we'll get lucky and we'll uh, stumble into like a, a great fascinating topic like this at the beginning of the podcast. We mm-hmm. on purpose stopped planning the first piece. Yes. Because we had done it before and it just kind of felt clunky. It's like, all right, we have an agenda. And sometimes we talk about like mantis shrimp and whatever else. Which is highly valuable. But like, man, we're, we're like talking about what is on the docket right now. You know, yeah. not that's what we're worrying about. Like, does it build with? But that's like what everybody's worrying about. Yeah. And so uh, thank you for digging in on that. Well, I was thinking about it a lot yesterday because yeah. it's, you know, I'm just sitting there running my machine as much as I can to try to get better at it, but am just scared shitless. And, and let me tell you too, every time I would be on a, a little bit of a slope or, or go backwards a little bit, lots of PTSD. Sure. I was freaking terrified, but that's the only way you do it. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about that a little bit. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, who are just not from this part of the country, uh, there were some tornadoes that, that cut through uh, Kentucky, um, Tennessee, um, In, Indiana, Indiana, Illinois and, too. Or uh, Illinois and Arkansas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty devastating. I'm not sure what like the, the casualty count is now, but I mean, it's like 100 people, 150. Yeah. I mean, yeah. pretty brutal. And then there's some, there's some towns that have been, were leveled. Um, and so, Aaron, you had posted something on Instagram, maybe Saturday, mm-hmm. about like, hey, do I know anybody up there um, or anybody have any information? I want to, you know, put, put my skits here to work, you know, just to 
do what you can to, you know, engage with that community and see what you can do to help. Yeah. I, so I, I bought my machine for, for fun mm-hmm. and I've been looking for work for yeah. it. I was sitting around on Saturday. I was working at the office Saturday and Saturday night or Friday night, the tornado warnings were going off in Nashville, which yeah. first time of my life where I've actually heard that in a storm, terrible, terrible feeling. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just felt just bad. Cause you weren't, you weren't living here when we had tornadoes. I guess that was right before COVID. You yeah. And I, I moved yet. just after, not, not, not long after. Got it, got so it, my okay. neighborhood was still somewhat leveled. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like a church two blocks from me was was non-existent mm-hmm. anymore um uh yeah but but ha- have never been around tornadoes or anything like that really know nothing about them yeah i saw on the news that a lot of, of towns got leveled on saturday i had nothing going sunday so i was just like well shoot why don't i just get up there and i have a skid steer i have a machine and a chainsaw i'm sure i can find work for it somewhere i don't know how bad it is but let me just show up so through got got my skid steer from Woods Equipment downtown where I was keeping it in their yard. Um, grabbed a grapple bucket and just drove up there. I met Ben Warren of Warren Land Solutions oh, nice. up there. We went through Mayfield, Kentucky. Um, if you've if you've seen pictures online, it's probably Mayfield. The whole downtown, mm-hmm. uh, just there's nothing. There's nothing left. I've never seen destruction like this before. I've seen wildfire destruction. And it's devastating because nothing's there anymore. But this was the whole, like in a wildfire, the house goes away. It disappears in the atmosphere. And you're just left with the foundation, the rock, the, the appliances kind of melted away. But this was, no, the whole house is still there present. Mm-hmm. It's just scattered across everywhere. A whole building's gone. All power lines, you're just driving into town. Power lines just across the road everywhere. They just cut all the power lines. So, I mean, cops were literally driving around bolt cutters. Just, just cut the power line. Just move them out of the way. Because the transmission lines were completely obliterated. Mm-hmm. Transmission lines were completely obliterated. So there's no power to that whole part of the country. Who knows when they're going to get it back? Mm-hmm. No, 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 um, no internet, no, it, no running water. Everything was completely knocked out. So we went to Mayfield. We drove around for a while, tried to see if there was any help. There were already a lot of people there. So we decided to go to an outside community outside of, of Benton that was, that was hit super hard as well. Mm-hmm. It's a stretch of like 200 miles that was just completely obliterated. Yeah. And we ended up at this neighborhood on the lake um, that was just no more. There wasn't a single standing house in the whole neighborhood. And, and, and it wasn't like the houses had broken windows. It was, the house was just, it had evaporated. Well, I it's mean, like the scary thing gone. with the tornadoes is there's often so much evidence of like, you know, the house is almost all there. It's just now in like a single layer. Yeah. It just gets pancake. Yeah. And all the, I mean, monster trees, just huge trees just snapped right in yeah. half. Cars thrown across roads. We saw train cars knocked over. Yeah. Train cars knocked over. Ugh. Grain, like not, not double stack containers knocked off, like grain cars knocked off rails. Mm-hmm. So. We showed up there, uh, parked at a church, unloaded the machine, and then just helped this elderly couple clean off trees off their house. So, and, and part of their house was collapsed. So we pulled, pulled the tree off. Um, and it was pretty, pretty humbling 
to say yeah. the least, to just see the sheer power that Mother Nature has and just devastating. And, um, but it was also really cool to see how many people were already there helping. I mean, hundreds of people with, with skid steers, mini excavators, chainsaws, just, they just showed up and they were just going to work. Mm -hmm. I don't even know the people that we were helping out. I don't even know their names. You just kind of found a spot to help and found a yard and found a tree on someone's house and just started working. So that's what we did for yesterday. And that's why uh, part of part of the reason why I bought the machine. It's it, I put the diesel fuel in it. I make the payments. We're not bidding work to anybody. Mm-hmm. We're not making any money with that machine. It's just it's there for me to enjoy and become a better operator. But it's also for me to just help people out with the machine and not have to worry about money. So it's like also if you know anybody around Nashville that needs skid steer help, more than happy to go there. Yeah, it, it just make like. I don't want I don't want to be doing work that a contractor should be doing that you can easily pay for. If you know someone that actually needs help, by all means, yeah, I'm on board. So, I didn't it, it wasn't very much. We we didn't help out very much, which like leaving you you felt super ill excited. I felt super guilty leaving last night because there's so much devastation, so much work to do and I just went home. Yeah, last I just night like felt like you went to bed. Didn't really make a dent. And no, you just kind of got to get to your own house. Yeah, I feel like I didn't really make a difference. Yeah. And um, I, like I, I felt kind of guilty this morning. So there's a weird... And, and, and it's like, well, fuck you. Like, come on. Like, you're guilty. These people are missing their house. It's just... it's it's Emotionally, it's super... It's just super weird. Mm-hmm. Super, I've never seen anything like it. And it... Uh, yeah, it's... It was quite an experience. We've got some good friends um, who who grew up together who now all live in Nashville, but their parents live in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I heard um, they got messed up pretty good. From there too. Um, and uh, one of their mom's houses had a, had a tree kind of basically come in through the front. Um, everybody's fine. But she like had posted pictures about it. And I'm like, shit. Because I, I hadn't seen any pictures yet. This was like Saturday morning. Or yeah, Saturday morning. Um, and, you know, and so there, there just wasn't much out there. In terms of like, you know, what has happened um, through, you know, Kentucky and Arkansas and Tennessee and all that. Um, I was in uh, my hometown of Hamilton, Ohio on Friday. I had one of my best friends, uh, mom had passed away. So I was in there for a funeral um, and knew that, you know, they had said like, there's going to be some really, really bad weather coming through Kentucky and Tennessee. And so, like, I had all this anxiety, you know. I, I went by myself to Ohio. My family, with my, you know, my kids and my wife were still here. Had all this anxiety driving through basically these towns we're talking about. Yeah. You know, if you, if you take 65 all the way from, like, Louisville, like, south, it's, like, through all, a bunch of towns they got hit. And so, like, I, like, felt really strange the next day of, like, you know, I was, like, four or five hours ahead of that stuff. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know, man. I just, it was like, I had this anxiety driving home and it's like, I, I feel like I need to be home now. You know, cause like, you don't really know what weather's going to do. Um, and so I just, I, I'm very thankful that the timing worked out the way it did for me to be able to get home before any of that stuff kind of cut through. But like, man, seeing, um, I don't know, seeing people like I know who are, are dealing with that, it just, 
you know, kind of hit, hits home a little bit differently. Um, and obviously that was yeah. a lot in Nashville too. I mean, there was so much of that here. Just watching these families just yeah. drive up to their house, what used to be their house and just start going through it. Yeah. Seeing if there's anything they can salvage and loading it up into a pickup truck. Just, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, it was this like internal debate in my head of, do I put any of this on social media? Cause I don't want to be that guy. And you see all these reporters and photographers running around and okay. I, I, I get that. It needs to be covered because you need to get awareness to drive a response and get these communities back to where it, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But then there's also people that prey on this kind of stuff. And it's not the best look either to just walk up to somebody's house and, and they just lost everything to like take a picture of how shitty it looks. So it was this weird, I want to show people to try to get help because we know a lot of helpful people with a lot of equipment and a lot of ability to actually yeah. clean this up. And I think we can, we can help these communities out in just a small way. But then I also don't want to be one of those guys that, oh, wow, he just went up there to take some pictures to see how fucked up it was and then went home and that was that. It's just, it's, it's such a, I've just, I've never experienced anything like that. So I don't even know how to process, I, I mm-hmm. just don't, I don't know how to process it. Um, you had maybe posted it on your stories, like a screenshot. Somebody had commented on something on TikTok that like, wow, way to profit off of, you know, something that you know, somebody else's like misfortune. I was like, I was well, like well, dude, people, people offered us money and we said, no, absolutely. Absolutely not. There's, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I was just doing what little, little I could, which wasn't very much. Um, but there's a, a lot of work to do up there and, yeah. and do companies profit off of disaster response. All yeah. The time. Whole companies specialize in disaster response. Whole multi-billion dollar companies specialize in disaster response. You know how much money was made cleaning up Manhattan after 9-11? Billions, Billions. of dollars. And do I, I, I wish it were different? Do I wish it could all be community service? Sure. But you also need equipment and people and trucks and there's dump fees and diesel fuel. It, it, it just takes a lot of money and energy to clean this thing up. So yeah. yeah, and companies, they specialize upon it and they do make money because that's what companies do. And I think companies, private companies that are for profit can do it a hell of a lot better than the federal government can. A hell of a lot better. Yeah. Um, so it's this weird, oh, should companies make money doing it, this and that. But um, I, I, if they're, if they're, doing what they can, going above and beyond really to serve society. I don't have a problem with companies making money Mm-mm. as a result. Because well, yeah. that's, that's tough work too. That's gnarly work. I mean, watching those guys work yesterday, that's not easy. It's, it's, it's hazardous. It's less than ideal. You're dealing with downed power lines, potential gas line ruptures with unstable structures with hazard tree. I mean, it, it's, it's a gnarly work environment, yeah. gnarly work environment. And, and certainly, um, not, not typical, you know, it's like every time you, they're having to go out, it's like after this really emotional experience for a lot of the people they're, you know, going out to work among Yeah, and the kind of the results of, you know, whether it was a natural disaster or whatever, it's like, 
that's all different every single time. So they're like, okay, well, kind of where do we start? How do we, you know, get the community back online as best like, you know, cause like they're, they're having to think about that stuff too. It's like, you know, what are the, what are the basics that this, you know, this neighborhood or this community like does not have? A lot of times it's legit. Like you said, power, like water, like those things have to be solved mm-hmm. before they start building, uh, you know, a new house or whatever. It's like oh, there's, it's, it's, it's years. Mm-hmm. Paradise was years ago and they're still doing substantial work in Paradise, California. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's 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 a years long effort to get a community like that back up to where where it should be. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want to help out, I from an equipment standpoint, a lot of people have been reaching out. Problem is, right now it's like a free for all. There's no, but then the organize, federal organizing. Well, th- there isn't a lot of organizing, but then FEMA comes in and takes over, and then you need to be like federal contractor, and there start to become a lot of rules. Yeah, and there are a lot of enforcement and curfews and. I don't know. I, I, I'm not smart enough to answer w- what you should do from an equipment or volunteering standpoint. I would use the internet and see what you can, what you can find because that's what I would do. And then if you want to um, send money, I've heard money goes a lot further than stuff. Like even the lady yesterday um, when we were at the church, she was like, do you guys know of anybody that is hungry and wants food? Because people just keep giving it to us and we don't know what to do with it. So just giving things isn't all that helpful. Um, I've heard money is, is a lot more helpful, but then I've also heard there's a lot of these organizations that sprout up from a disaster that are total scams. So do your homework, um, look into churches, look into local organizations. I know Kentucky set up a dedicated tornado relief fund, mm-hmm. which is probably a pretty good, pretty good place to put your money. Um, but if you want to help out, that's what I would recommend based off of what I've learned over the past two days. Yeah. This is all, this is all new to me. I've never experienced it before. Um, well, thanks for talking about that, Aaron. Um, it's, it's pretty sobering to see the, you know, you had sent to our, uh, internal like Slack channel, um, just a drone video kind of going through, I assume that was like the downtown or yeah, just downtown Mayfield. Yeah. Um, it was pretty sobering, um, and definitely just kind of made it really real. So I appreciate you sharing that kind of mm-hmm. with our crew. I mean, to, 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 uh, illustrate how dumb I am. I was thinking through the tornado, I'll be like, Oh, I'd be, I'd be fine in my car. Like worst case scenario, my house isn't all that sturdy, but I feel like my truck is pretty sturdy. And then immediately as I got out there, there's pickup trucks that were grabbed from the highway and thrown into fields, combines thrown into fields, mm-hmm. RVs, flipped and rolled over many, many times over. Like, no. You posted a picture of a, a stop sign that had basically wrapped itself around like the pole. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Heavy stuff, man. Yeah. So, yeah, thinking about everybody, um, everybody affected by all the storms and then especially as well, the people, first responders, and the people that will be there for years cleaning that place up. Yep. Total respect. Um, if, if anybody who listens um, is, is from that part of town and has more information um, of, you know, how uh, build in and just kind of the greater community um, who listens, listens to us, you know, can get involved, can help. Um, please send that information our way. Sure. Very that, that'd that. be super helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to share it. Yeah. Cool. Um, we have a couple dirt talk questions. Cool. This oh, would, is this the Dirt Talk podcast? Oh, we yeah. Welcome to the Dirt Talk it. podcast, everyone. Yeah. Ever uh, heard of it? Welcome to the Monday episode. We're happy to have you. All right. This is a question from Lorenzo. 
Renzo. He says, I've had a passion for heavy equipment since I could walk, but also love the aspects of running a business and building a brand. The snow removal division has been really successful for our business as I've been doing that for some four years now and have consistently added commercial sites by a cold calling tactic each year. Transitioning, I wanted to see if you guys had any input as to helping my excavation and demolition division grow. I'm active on social media and have a new website being developed. I know success and growth isn't an overnight thing, but I'm always hungry to get to the next step and seemingly never satisfied. That said, I haven't had, any, haven't had many opportunities or leads come our way, and I'm looking to start trending further upwards. Um, we've talked about this. Like what he just said, cold calling is still super, super beneficial, especially in today's world. Cold calling, paying attention to what projects are coming up in your area, creating connections with general contractors and those doing the building work, that kind of thing, or larger contractors that need subcontractors, make relationships with them, utilize LinkedIn, find out who the decision makers are at each company, talk to them, call them up, tell them about yourself, take them to lunch, whatever it is. Every, every job that you do get, make sure it goes on your website. Make sure that you talk about it on social media. Um, and then just wait. It just takes time. Yeah. I mean, we're getting right now for our business, we're not an activation company, but we have more leads than we know what to do with because we've been consistently telling a story and building a brand online for five years now. Mm-hmm. You do it for five years, you start to actually create some value and and you can reap some of the the reward from it all. Yeah. So I just think it's like what you're doing. If it's working on snow, it's going to work on excavation demolition. It just, maybe it just needs more time. Kind of following that up, Aaron, I have a question. Um, is there a lot of like, you know, he, Lorenzo was talking about, you know, their, their snow removal business has been successful, but they're struggling to build the uh, excavation and grading up to that same level of, of perceived success is the kinds of uh, like clients you would do snow removal for like in a, in a more com- commercial type way. Are those some of the same people who might need um, dirt work done or is, is those are pretty separate? No, it's separate. Okay. Yeah. It'll be, you're doing it for an established building or say there's this parking lot at this warehouse and they have people coming in and out like Amazon warehouse. You're going to plow snow for that Amazon warehouse. So you, you might be doing work for Amazon elsewhere, but you'll be doing work for a general contractor working for Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's somewhat of a a separate world. My, my, like my, my question would just be like, how, how long have you been doing it for? I, I think everybody wants this, this magic marketing formula. And I can't stand most of these marketing companies because they give these people this magic. There is one. There is this magical formula. And here you go. We can sell it to you. We can do it for you. It's all bullshit. It's all snake oil. It's not real. It's not real. Good marketing is just consistently telling a great story and getting in front of as many people as you can and just doing it for a long time. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's, 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 meeting with a lot of people. It's making a lot of calls. It's getting told no a lot. It's sending a lot of emails. It's taking a lot of people to lunch. It's going and visiting 
construction offices a lot. It's going and walking into job trailers. It's posting about every single day online on multiple formats, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. It's connecting with people that might be good business opportunities for you down the road. We've done that for five years and we're starting to see some success, but that's because we've consistently done it for five years. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Well, it does also seem like that same approach also applies to, you know, we were, we were talking about uh, maybe two weeks ago, um, you know, coming into the, the dirt world as like, you know, at the ground floor or like if you have relevant experience outside of the industry, can you, I want to say skip the ground floor, but basically build on like relevant experience outside of the industry, say you're a truck driver or something like that. Um, it, it's kind of the same, you know, we talk about, you know, how do you become an operator? You work hard as a laborer for a while and wait till there's an opportunity. Sure. And so to me, it, it kind of sounds like the same thing is what you're saying is, yeah. you know, you, you kind of have to just like keep plugging away, doing what's like available. And then when there's a you know, bigger opportunity, you jump at that. And that's when you get, you there's get not a, a job. There's not like a fail safe. Well, if you do these three steps, you're going to be no. successful. You get a job, you, you, you do your best to make it a great job mm-hmm. and make the customer super happy. And hopefully they use you again, or hopefully they talk about other people. There's your business development as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just so wish I could say, well, here's what you should do. And there's not a good way to do it. But if you're not a shithead contractor, if you do really good work, if you care for your people, if you care for those you work with, you care for your subcontractors, you have nice equipment, you you do some very simple things, you're going to build a pretty damn successful business long-term. Yeah. But keyword long-term, like I was just reading uh, this, this book on finance and so Warren Buffett, obviously he's done okay as, a, as an investor. Um, and so the, the book says, well, they've, there's a thousand books about Warren Buffett's investment strategies, so on and so forth, but they all miss one very important thing. He's been doing it for almost three quarters of a century. And he made almost all of his wealth after his 65th birthday. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, is the guy smart? Yes. Is he good at what he does? Yes. But he's also been wrong a lot of times. And he's also been doing it for 75 years consistently, every single day for 75 years. The guy started investing when he was 15. He's 90 years old now. 75 years. Wow. Yes. That's what people don't want to hear. Yeah. They don't want to do something for 75 years. They just want it now. No, no, doesn't work that way. And I'm telling myself this as much as anybody else. Me as a young business owner, I want to go make way more money than we are right now. I want to employ more people than we are right now. I want our brand to be bigger. I want way, way, way more than what we have right now. Mm -hmm. Way more. But part of it is just, I need to let the cake bake. Just let it bake. I've, I've, I have my ingredients. It's going to be a tasty cake, but I can't turn the oven up. I just need to sit and watch and wait for it to bake. Yep. Well said. Uh, well, thanks, Lorenzo. Appreciate you reaching out. Thanks for listening. Uh, next question. I think it builds on this a little bit, so uh, I think we're on the right path here. Questions from Tyson. 
He says, looking for some advice on how to be both profitable and competitive at the same time. I'm still employed full-time in the tech industry, but trying to transition full-time to the dirt world. Cool. Pretty cool. Profitable, huh? And competitive. I feel like when you're new, that sounds way more difficult. I think the most profitable contractors, we've talked about this, they have an area that they focus in. Mm-hmm. And I was just having this conversation with our own business is um, there, are these, there are these other companies doing what we do now and they can do it way more cost effectively than we can. And so the question is, well, do we even want to do that? Or do we just want to focus on this one area that we know we can absolutely dominate and do way better and make more money over here? The answer is, well, let's just go over here. They can do all that and they can do it way more cost effectively and way more effectively mm-hmm. than we can. That's just not what we do. So we're smart enough to sit here and say, to give us a little bit of credit, not very much, but hey, let's just focus over here because this is what we're good at. This is what we enjoy. And this is where we can make the most money. And this is where we can create the most impact, make the dirt world a better place most effectively. Okay, you as a contractor, find that. And are you going to be super profitable day one as a small contractor? No, you're going to have to get your ass beat. You're going to have to go bid work. Make it up as you go. Make mistakes. Figure it out. But as you start to feel out the market, where are the opportunities? Where are there, where are there people not bidding very much? Stop bidding against every excavation contractor in town and start bidding against maybe one other guy that does something specialized like you do. There you go. There's more money. Think outside the box. Mm-hmm. When you hire people, Allow them to, to come up with the plan on how the work's going to be executed. So they're empowered. So they own the plan and they go execute their plan. It's going to be much better than your plan t- typically. Yeah. So Jocko says, it's in Build With Leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the decentralized command. It's, it leverage, leverage historical information. Okay, if I bid it here and I made this money, that's important. But also think about how you can do the next project better. What are the, okay, great. I made this money on this project. I made this mistake. I did this. This worked well. This didn't. Think about, hey, how can I make the next one go even better? Just take a second to think, okay, this is the lesson I learned here. This is really valuable. And this is how I'm going to go apply it to the next job to make the next job even better, to perform even better so I can make even more money. How can I leverage technology? Mm -hmm. If you're integrating technology in your business, from day one, you're going to be so far ahead of the other guys. Sure. Is your equipment going to be more expensive? Absolutely. Is there going to be a higher startup cost? Sure. Or is your overhead going to be higher? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what your overhead is though. If the technology is giving you an enormous advantage that allows you to do the job way more effectively, you're going to be more profitable even if you have more overhead than the next guy. Yeah. I just talked to Randy Blunt about this the other day. He said all these contractors, they're so concerned about less and less overhead. Okay. Well, maybe you have more overhead, but if more overhead allows you to do the job a lot more effectively and make more money, that sounds good to me. Doesn't matter how much overhead you are, uh, you have, that doesn't actually make a difference. Sure. There's an extent to that, but Hey, I'm going to invest more day one and, 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 and use technology. I'm going to utilize social media. Like we just talked about, I'm going to create a distinct brand. I'm going to look really presentable when I show up to somebody's house with my machine. It's going to be looking good. 
if it's rented, maybe I, I get some, some, uh, some magnets for it. So it's still branded rather than the rental company's branding. Yeah. Be smart about it. You have your, your shirt on your polo, you look professional, you talk to the homeowner, you really care about them. You want to get to know them. You want to figure out exactly what they need. You don't try to screw them if they say they want this, but you could actually do this for half the price. You say, no, I could actually do this for half the price and get you a much better result. You tell them that. It's all simple stuff. When it comes to um, like specializing, when you're kind of saying, you know, as opposed to just building really kind of like straight down the middle, typical projects that like everybody who's in the excavation and grading you know, in your community is bidding on, trying to uh, get more specific so you're bidding against less people for different jobs. Um, is some of that like a, I just, I, and maybe this is just a question for me, but like when you're trying to think of, you know, what are those specific things? Is that just like, what am I capable of doing right now? What am I capable of? What do I enjoy? What does the market look like? So I'm not going to be a rock wall specialist in somewhere that doesn't have rocks, for example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be a rock wall specialist in Kaysville, Utah, which is where Rock Structures is at, yeah. Ryan Goodfellow, because a lot of people have rock walls. And there's only so many high quality rock wall contractors in that area. So sure, does he do uh, basements and does he do tie-ins and, and he does a lot of other work. Absolutely. Some earthwork for landscaping. Sure. Bread and butter though, rock walls, because there's only so many guys doing rock walls and there's only so many guys doing it to the degree he does it. And then he does it really well for one home builder or one homeowner. Well, when someone else is looking for a rock wall, who are they going to talk about? Who are they going to go to? Yeah, they're like, well, I know a really good Rockwell guy. And like, that's, that's how a lot of that gets built. There you go. Yeah. And now you're not even bidding against other people. You're just giving someone a price because they want a price from you. Now you don't want to screw them, but now you're not even bidding against somebody. You don't have to bid against people. If someone's just giving you the work because of your repu reputation, your brand. Okay, cool. There you go. I'm going to ask a stupid question. Please. And I'm putting this out there because I'm stupid. Well, um, you and me both. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, when there's like a, a GC on like a, a you know, say building, we'll say a home because that's like a little bit smaller. Just a you know, versus like a Amazon warehouse. Or um, and you know, somebody says, "I really want a, a this big ass rock wall." Mm -hmm. When the GC calls the rock wall guy. And says, you know, what's your price? They need that so they can then tack on their markup or whatever. So they can give that new number back to the customer. Is like that how that process? Yeah, typically, typically yeah, goes? GC, you have all your subcontractors and then they'll have like their administration fee project or a profit margin mm -hmm. on top of, on top of all of that. Okay. And the value you're getting from a general contractor in a residential scenario is they're the ones that find all the subcontractors. They know the people. And yeah. they're the ones that manage all the subcontractors. And that's a lot of, it's just a lot of irons in the fire to worry about. And so me as a, a new homeowner, I have two little kids at home. I've never built a home before. Yeah, I'm just going to hire a builder uh, to 
build my house for me because they put all the pieces together. Yeah. So yeah, they, they add markup to it, but it's advantageous because they're bringing Ryan Goodfellow in. They're handling it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're bringing Ryan in to begin with. They found Ryan. They have a great relationship with him. They know he does good work. Hey, I have a guy. Okay, cool. Sure. I'll pay, I'll pay what I need to. You've done the work. You have the relationship. That's, that's worth more than just what Ryan's going to charge me. But um, Ryan will also work with just homeowners too. That, sure. Hey, I just want a new rock wall. Okay. I'm not going to hire a general contractor to give me a rock wall. I'm just going to call Ryan. Yeah. So then transferring into um, kind of the, the larger like dirt world stuff that we talk about, is the process similar to that, just on a broader scale? Yeah. So okay. say you want an Amazon warehouse built, I go and bid it to GCs. GCs give me a price. I pick whichever GC I want. Maybe it's the lowest price. Maybe it's not because I have a good relationship with another GC. Maybe I don't even bid it. Maybe I just give it to a GC that I have a good relationship with, Mm -hmm. which Amazon does quite a bit. And then that GC goes and takes it, splits up all the components, awards the subcontracts, the subcontractors, and manages the work accordingly. And is either super cool, yay for good GCs, or a just total douchebag the entire process. And you've spoken on GCs before. We don't need to get into Boy, it. Boy, have I. <laughs> Boy, have I. But I am going to keep saying that I respect the good GCs and the friendly GCs and the GCs that don't have this big chip on their shoulder and need to go prove themselves every minute of every day. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I would go even further to say that BuildWit is very pro uh, people and companies who are really good at stuff. I'm pro general, con- like we need general contractors. It, they build, they build stuff. Yeah. They employ almost all of our partners. That's, it, they're a very, very important part of all of this, but they're also a problem of this. They're yeah. also one of the problems. And am I saying every civil contractor is good to go? No, there are so many dirtbag civil contractors out there too. Let me tell you. Uh, and I'm not a fan of those guys either, but I just have a lot of negative experiences with sure. general contractors yeah. for some reason. Well, right on. Thanks for answering some of my dumb questions. Yes. Uh, Tyson, thanks for reaching out, man. Really appreciate it. Um, and props on uh, doing the transition from being in the tech world to being in the dirt world. Very cool. I, and I love to hear that. And the dirt world is a way better place to be. It's <laughs> what we say here. Build it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that is a uh, Monday podcast, my cool. friend. Well, I have a financial call I'm late with. So see what I do. See what I, sacrifices I make around here. Yeah, you do it just for me. That's just, just me only, just you know. For, for you and our loyal <laughs> seven or eight listeners. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, enjoy the podcast, share it, um, share it on social media, send it to a friend, talk to someone about it. However you can share it would be super cool. We've been growing like crazy over the past 30, 60 days, yeah. which is, it's a lot of fun to see. Not that that's the goal, but to know that we're getting the message out to more people is mm-hmm. is super cool and, and very fulfilling. So yep. thanks for sharing. If you have questions or comments or listener mail, whatever you want, send it to dirttalk at buildit.com. And with that, we will see you on the next episode. Stay with everybody.